Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 16 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 20th of September 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, and the Barber readings are taken from Jude, Hebrews and Acts. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Of course, if you were here during the uh, adult Bible study this morning in Brother Steve's class, uh, you will know that in their study that they're uh, looking at there right now, uh, it's actually entitled Messiah, the world's only hope. And of course, right now they're looking at some of those end time things and uh, the, uh, of course how some of those things are going to play out in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and if you uh, noticed in the sermons today, the Lord must uh, certainly uh, be planning on giving you plenty on the second coming today because uh, I don't know Brother Steve's sermon this evening, but the title of it is The Glories in the Glory. And uh, so I can uh, take a pretty good guess where he's going with that. And, uh, and of course, uh, in our series on Sunday mornings in Contending for the Faith, uh, we have been looking uh, at some of the fundamentals of the faith that we must be willing to contend for. And uh, we are now, uh, as we've been going through our series on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we're also now coming up to His visible return, the second coming, which we'll be looking at. And, uh, you know, this is going to take us a few weeks, and I'm certainly not going to go into detail. Uh, For those that when we went uh, through uh, end-time things in the study of Revelation some years back and whatnot, I'm working on, we've got you a new chart as far as a timeline that when we get to that point that will we'll give you that uh, will help you just to look and see where all these scriptures fit in uh, on the uh, on the timeline there. Uh, but uh, of course next Sunday being Harvest Thanksgiving uh, we'll uh, uh, be leaving our series for next week and then coming back to it the week following that. Uh, but let me invite you this morning, we're going to take our uh, first readings from uh, three different places if you'd uh, you'd like to open your, your Bible to the book of Jude and uh, kind of stick your finger in there. And then you can turn just a few pages back in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. Stick another finger in there and then turn back just a bit farther to the book of Acts chapter 3. Now that we've got your hands all tied up with all those different places in, in the Bible, let me just say that Of course, we have been looking at some of these fundamental truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And you heard me state that all of the fundamental doctrines of the faith really rise and fall on what we believe about Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. We've seen that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is completely God, that the Christian can only be complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that the conversion that places the Christian in Christ is complete in the gospel, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, We've considered the fundamental truths of His virgin birth, of His vicarious death, 
and of his victorious resurrection. Today we're going to look one further step in this, these fundamental truths, and we're going to look at his visible return. And just a reminder, the sounds that we're getting there, if you've got a mobile phone, if you could please switch it off for us, because this wireless equipment and mobile phones just do not get along with each other uh, at all, even if it's uh, on silent. If you're on emergency call or something like that, then get as far away from me as you can over into that corner, and that would uh, help. Not that we want to get rid of you or anything, but, uh, but yeah, sometimes those frequencies cross over. So for some weeks, we want to look at the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. Now, the first place you put your finger in your Bible was the book of Jude. Let me just remind you, first of all, that in verses 3 and 4, it said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this is what that we have been looking at and realizing that we have been instructed to contend for this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now I want us to look into our text for today, and I'll ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, beginning in, we're going to start in Jude, and we're going to look down in verses 14 and see that in this contending for the faith that Jude himself specifically speaks of the second coming of Christ. In Jude verses 14 and 15, he said, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, when we looked at the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we looked at this passage that you've got your finger at there in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read beginning in verse 22 where we looked at before, but read just a few verses further. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therein ne therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. Of others. Well, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear 
the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house. Now, Lord, we understand so very well that, Lord, if anything is to be said here this morning that is going to have an effect in people's lives, Lord, we need the power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need your touch upon us. Not that man could be heard, not that man could be recognized. Lord, that your word might be made alive, that Jesus Christ might be magnified, that we might truly hear the words that you have for this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Of course, we looked at this passage. When we looked at the vicarious death of Jesus, because Christ, he says here, bore our sins on Calvary. Folks, he paid the price in full. And because of that, and because of that sacrifice, because of the fact that it met all the requirements of the Father, he can come again at his second coming with no sin problems at all, it says here. For all those saints that have trusted in him for their forgiveness, it's actually going to be, now we don't believe in progressive salvation. You're either saved or you're not. There is no in-between. But there is another stage to our salvation that we haven't experienced yet, and that's that glorification stage, praise God. That's when we'll receive those new glorified bodies that are not tainted with sin when we'll be removed even from the very presence of sin in our lives. That's what's going to take place at his second coming. Now, you've got your finger in one other place there, if you still have it, in Acts chapter 3. Notice in verses 19 to 21, it says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Isn't it interesting? So many times in the Word of God, these two things of being forgiven for our sins and the Lord's second coming so often come together. You see, as we look through these passages today, as we have said with these others, I want you not just to know, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus coming back because that's what our church says. That's what I was taught when I was raised or whatever. You see, I want you to be able to know enough about these fundamentals of the faith that you know what they are and you know why that we must stand upon them because you know in your heart what the Word of God has shown you. Now, we're going to attempt to show the essentialness of this fundamental doctrine of Christ's return, the second coming of Christ, by really doing four things over these next few weeks. First of all, what we're going to look at today is defining the importance. How important is the second coming? Why is it important? Why is it so important that it would be fundamental to our faith? 
And then, God willing, over the next weeks, we'll look at not only defining the importance, but describing the meaning. What do we actually mean? Because different people mean different things when they talk about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then by detailing the action, and that's when we're going to look to our time charts, and I'm going to detail with you precisely what we believe that the time schedule, the events are going to take place at what is known, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, I haven't completely lost it, but fourthly by depicting the time. When is it going to take place? And as we look at those things, I trust and pray and hope that it will revive you and refresh you. There are very few things that will excite a born-again child of God like the thoughts of the second coming of Lord Jesus Christ to take us out of here. Or that's what it should do to you anyway. And by the same token, there are very few things that should challenge someone that's not a Christian that, folks, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So how important is the second coming? Is it something that is really all that important to us? If so, why, and why is it fundamental? Well, first of all, I want to say to you that it's important and it's fundamental because the Scriptures themselves declare it so. Now, the New Testament, out of 260 chapters in the New Testament, the second coming is mentioned at least 318 times. That's one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament of your Bible. Sounds like it's pretty important. In the Old Testament, for every one verse concerning the first coming of Christ to this earth, there are eight verses concerning the second coming. Pretty important. So we know that the second coming of Christ must be pretty important if God has gone to the trouble to give us so much detail in the Word of God concerning it. But folks, it's important not only because the Scripture declares it, which we've already said, everything that we're looking at, that's the foundation that as we build upon the Lord Jesus Christ is His Word. That's the basis of our faith. It's because what God tells us, not what man supposes. Well, I'm telling you that in those Scriptures, it's important, secondly, because the Savior promises it. We find in John chapter 14 that as He was there, with those that were closest to him, his disciples on this earth. And he was trying to prepare them for the fact that he was getting ready to leave this earth. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. What a promise. Jesus said, I've got to go away. But I want you to know something. I'm going away, but if I'm going to go away, I'm going to make sure there's a place prepared for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you there where you can be with me. That's the promise of our Savior. 
Now we find Jesus Christ himself also prior to this point here with his disciples. We find that as he was ministering from the Mount of Olives, what we know as the Olivet Discourse, it's recorded for you at least three places in your New Testament. It's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 24 and 25. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark chapter 13. And it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. Now I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 13. For now we find that his account is a bit more summarized than Matthew's. In Mark chapter 13, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as we look here at the recording of this message that he himself brought. It says, And as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. When ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues you shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak. Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days, and pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. 
And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of the day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore. For ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. We find that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone into some pretty clear and specific details here. And we'll be looking at some of those details when we move to that part in the sermon. But I want you to gather and grasp here. We're talking about the importance of the second coming. We're talking about that it's important, first of all and foremost, to all of us because God said it, because the Scriptures declare it. If it said at one time, that it'd be sufficient. But it's in our Bibles hundreds of times. Not only that, but because the Savior himself promises it. He promised you specifically as his children that he would come again and receive you unto himself. He's gone into great detail here to promise he will be coming a second time. And he's gone in to give us many of the signs that we ought to be looking for. And he finishes up by encouraging you to watch, to watch, to be ready because you don't know when he's coming, but you need to be ready for his return. So the second coming of Christ is important because Scripture declares it, because the Savior promises it. But let me say thirdly, because saints receive their comfort and hope from it. First Thessalonians Chapter 4, notice that in this great passage speaking of the second coming, second 
or First Thessalonians chapter four. We're going to pick up in verse thirteen, which says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even." as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what hope do we really have today if Jesus Christ is not coming back? We looked at last week when we talked about the resurrection, that verse that said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. They can pity us if this is all that we've got, if this is all that life is. But folks, if any of that is true, concerning the resurrection that we looked at, what point is the resurrection if Jesus Christ isn't coming back? Can we grasp you can't have one without the other? If Jesus Christ is completely God, if we said, and if our salvation is complete in him, why? Because that he was virgin born. Because when he was virgin born, he came as the sonless God of, uh, son of God, God himself manifest in the flesh. He, was, he vicariously died in our place, a substitutionary atonement for you and I. And he was victoriously resurrected, victor over sin and death, assuring us that we can have life now beyond the grave. But if, if all that were true, and yet he was not personally coming again to receive us unto himself, if he wasn't coming back to give us that glorified body <laughs> without the sin that we still deal with day by day in our lives that's so frustrating, if he wasn't coming back to make this old sinful world right by defeating sin and Satan once for all. You see, so many times when we read these passages and he describes what those end times are going to be like, we think, whoa, what a horrific God we must have. No, the problem is as human beings, we don't understand just how horrific that sin is. Sin must be put away you look around us, you've heard me preach it, you've heard me say it so many times. People want to point their fingers and say, if you've got such a loving God, why do we have all this murder over here? Why do we have all this starvation over here? Why do we have all these horrible, terrible things in the world? Folks, it's not because of God. It's because of a lack of God. It's because that we are without God. 
I don't think you, there is nothing that you can imagine the most horrific thing that you've ever seen or heard in your life. And you multiply it times all of mankind that's ever been here. Folks, listen to me. It is all, capital A, capital L, capital L, a result of sin. Sin brought the curse. Sin brought death. Sin brought all these horrors of the world. And there can never, ever in any way be another world that's any better unless sin is dealt with and put away. If we could even begin to grasp how horrible that, that sin is, we could partially grasp and understand why that it must be dealt with in the way that it must I'm saying to you, if sin is not going to be dealt with, if this world is not going to be put to rights, if sin and Satan aren't once and for all going to be put down, I'm saying, what good is it? What good is it? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. His deity, his virgin birth, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection, and his visible return, praise God. He's the one that's coming for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, he said, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. How important is the second coming? Why is it so important? Why is it so fundamental? Because the Scriptures declare it so. Because the Savior promises it. Folks, because that for the saint, it is our hope and our comfort looking for that glorious day. But let me tell you something else. You know another reason that it's so important, Brother Russ? <laughs> Brother Russ, because Satan hates it. Because Satan hates it. And anything that Satan hates and fights against has got to be good for us, praise God. <laughs> Look with me into 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice what the Word of God says. Peter said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Oh, Satan hates it. <laughs> and we see here just one illustration of many in the Scriptures of how hard that he's finding, fighting against it. And he's going to send all of his false prophets. Now, you find this isn't the first time in our readings today that we've been warned because that there are going to be those that are going to be saying all kinds of false things, that are going to be claiming all kinds of false Christ, that are going to be claiming all kinds of false things and saying that it's from God. And here you find those that are just going to be making light of it all and scoffing. Huh? What's here has always been and hasn't changed and it's not going to change. And yet, it's only because of God's great desire. Sin will be destroyed. This earth as we know it will be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, praise God. The thing is, God doesn't want you to face that destruction. That's not his will. That's why he's long-suffering. That's why Jesus Christ did all that he did. And Jesus wants to come and get you out of here before that it faces its destruction. You see, the second coming of Christ is, is important. It's important because the Scriptures declare it so, because the Savior promises it, because saints receive their comfort and hope from it, because Satan hates it and fights it. And it's important because sinners and saints alike are challenged by it. Sinners to repentance, saints to holy living. Do you know what? <laughs> That's precisely why that it's avoided so much from the pulpits today. Why that it's avoided so much from the worldly churches, from the carnal Christians, if you can put those two words together, of our day. Because we've just seen in our reading, even here in Second Peter chapter 3, that we're challenged to the kind of lives that we live in view of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, and it could be today. We're challenged to live holy lives. We're challenged to be ready for that day. We also saw it in our reading 
We read from the Olivet Discord from, from Mark chapter 13. You know, part of that same discourse is recorded for us by Matthew and Luke also. Matthew says in Matthew 24, verses 44 to 46, he said, Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Faithfulness. Who is the faithful servant? You see, Matthew goes on in chapter 25, and he uses that whole chapter as he records from this same message by the Lord Jesus Christ, showing us the importance, and again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to turn there and read it, but you're familiar with most of those stories anyway. The first 13 verses of the Gospel of Matthew deal with the parable of the, of the ten virgins. And, of course, Jesus is using that, that parable, that illustration in his sermon to show the importance of being ready for his return. We find that in verses 14 through 30 then, he uses another illustration to really bear out what he was just talking about here in this chapter when he gives us the parable of the talents of using that which has been left? Are we being good stewards of what God has, has left us with? And of course, then in verses 31 through 46, we find that he records for us the judging of the nations. Judgment will come. And of course here, speaking not of the Jews, which is separate, but of the Gentiles, of all of the nations of the world. All of the nations of the world. People will face the same God. Oh, we can travel around the world and we can find people that call God by all kinds of different names and they say there's all kinds of different ways to, to get there, but there is one God. And all nations will stand before that one God. And I'm saying to you that the message of the second coming is a challenging message, a challenging message that should challenge our lives. Note also the warning from this discourse that is recorded by, by Luke in Luke chapter 21. Luke says in verse, verses 34 to 38, he says, And take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. In other words, be careful that you don't get caught up so much in all the things that are happening around you, the cares of this life, that you're not looking and ready for that great day to come. He says, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There is an escape. 
Christian. We need to be praying. And then John, the apostle in 1 John chapter 2, he gives us a very solemn warning there. 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Are we abiding in Christ? You see, it challenges our life. If Jesus Christ were to come this instant, are you happy to face him with the life that you're living right now? Oh, I know. <laughs> we all still deal with this sinful flesh. That's going to be one of the joys of being rid of. But you know. You know. That doesn't take away the fact that we ought to be living holy lives. We ought to be living our lives for him. Those things ought to be more vital, more important to us than the cares of this life. The second coming of Christ. It is vitally important. Why? Because Scripture declares it so, because the Savior promises it, because saints and sinners receive their comfort and hope from it, because Satan hates it, because sinners and saints are challenged by it. I want to give you this final one. Folks, it's important because sensibility demands it. <laughs> we are instructed as believers to watch for his return. We've seen how important it is for a number of reasons, but common sense will tell you that if you're told to be alert about something, it's for a good reason because it's important. How important is the second coming? I hope that you'll come to realize that it is fundamentally essential. If you look back at one of our opening scriptures, and I want you to notice something, and it's the one that's on the overhead up here on the screen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 said, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Did you notice those words the first time we read it? Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second times. Well, it seems to me, first of all, that if you're a true believer, if you're truly part of the faith that we're talking about contending for, then you ought to be looking for him. If you truly love him, wouldn't you be eager to see him? I know he's commanded that we watch for him, and he tells us that if we love him to keep his commandments, but I'm talking about even pure, simple common sense tells us that when you truly love someone, you want to see them and you want to be with them. I mean, look around you here today, your family, your spouses, your children, your parents. If you truly love somebody, you want that nearness. You want to spend time with them. You want to see them. You want to be there with them. We even have that simple saying that's come as a result of that. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. How much would it mean to you for Christ to return this minute, right now? 
I mean, before you could even get out those, Christ to come back right this minute. Are you ready for that? And if you're ready for it in the sense of salvation, are you truly desirous of it? Do you truly desire with all your heart to see him right now because you love him so much that nothing could be greater than to see him and to be with him right this instant? Nothing else is more important than that. In Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 16, Jesus tells us what we call the parable of the rich fool. And he challenges us in there to think of what is really important to us. Oh, he goes to great detail to remind us how important we are to the Lord and then encourage to set our hearts on things above. Remember, we even sing it sometimes, the words from there, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. To seek God first, his kingdom, and that the things of this life will be taken care of. We're encouraged to build our treasures in heaven where they're eternal rather than being temporal as all things are down here. Verse 34, he closes that parable with these words. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do we really care about? What is our treasure and where is our treasure today? You see, if our treasure really is in heaven... <laughs> If our treasure really, if it is the Lord Jesus Christ that means that much to us, that's where our heart will be. And you know what? You can never love anybody in this earth as fully as you can love them when Christ is part of that love. We find that the very next words that follow, he says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And in light of all that, he follows with these words concerning his second coming in Luke 12, 35 to 37. I give you this in closing. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord. When he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve him. You know, a lot of times I've used this illustration before. You know, the, the watching here, watching for somebody with eagerness you know, we still do it as grown-ups, but I, I, could even, I can remember right back into my childhood. I can remember when somebody special was coming to see us. It might, it might be a grandparent or it might be a special uncle and aunt or, or maybe some cousins or something like that, and we knew that they were coming and we were expecting them and the time got there and they weren't quite there. What do you naturally do? You're looking out the curtain. You're looking out the door. You're waiting in great anticipation for their arrival because you just can't wait to see them. That's what he's talking about here. Watching and waiting with that anticipation. Wow, he should already be here. Where's he at? I want to see him so much. 
Is he here yet? You see, I guess that's the thing that I want to leave you with this morning. Oh, it's important. And I hope over these next weeks we'll come to realize just how important that it is. But today, where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Where is your anticipation? Are you excited and anticipating the second coming of our Lord? Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I trust and pray that for those believers that are here today, Lord, that their hearts can just fill with joy, thinking, wow, it could really finally be today. I mean, it, it could happen any time. Where's he at? He should have already been here. I can't wait for his arrival. Father, I pray that you would help us that, Lord, despite all of our imperfections and failings that we are so aware of, but, Lord, our lives would be so focused upon you, our lives so in tune with you, or our desire to truly not just pretend and fake, but to live the lives that you would have us to live. Father, I pray that each Christian here today, if there's something that's keeping them from enjoying that great anticipation of your return, maybe even right now, that you'd help them to deal with it. And Father, if there's anyone here today that is lost that doesn't know with absolute certainty that they're saved and ready for that day, oh, Lord, I pray that you would help them, Lord, even now, to realize that this truly is the day. This could be the day that you're coming back, and they don't have that confidence of knowing that they're ready for it. And Lord, it could be in the next minute. It could be in the next hour. Now's the time. This is too important to put off. In light of your coming, may it drive each and every one of us as believers here today to live more holy lives than ever. And may it drive everyone here that might be lost and without Jesus to their knees to realize their only hope, their only comfort in this life can come from your finished work and the fact that you are coming again one day to receive those that belong to you unto yourself. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.